0: This might seem pie in the sky, but I don't think it has to be. We just have to understand that it's possible.
1: Hi, I'm Vicki Robin. In partnership with the Post Carbon Institute, I'm hosting short, to the point conversations with diverse cultural scouts, asking each one the same question, what could possibly go right? The invitation is to see through these wise eyes what is opening up in the present moment as normal is upended and next is not at all clear. These conversations were recorded a few months into the pandemic and in the weeks following the murder of George Floyd. Let's see what today's guest says. Welcome to uh, What Could Possibly Go Right. And I'm here with Lila June Johnston. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about her and then we'll go to our question Um, and welcome Lila June.
0: Yeah. Thank Um, you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Lila June is a poet, singer-songwriter, hip-hop artist, human ecologist, public speaker, community organizer of Diné, Navajo. To say Cheyenne and European lineages. Her dynamic multi genre performance and speech style has invigorated and inspired audiences across the globe toward personal, collective, and ecological healing. Her messages focus on indigenous rights, supporting youth, intercultural healing, historical trauma, and traditional land stewardship practices. She blends her undergraduate studies in human ecology at Stanford University, her graduate work in Native American pedagogy at the University of New Mexico and the indigenous worldview she grew up with to inform her perspectives and solutions. Her internationally acclaimed performances and speeches are conveyed through the medium of prayer, hip hop, poetry, acoustic acoustic music and speech. Her personal goal is to grow closer to creator by learning how to love deeper. So, Lila June, you have a unique seat at this table we set around the question, what could possibly go right? Your lineage at a time when descendants of European settlers are reckoning with slavery and colonialism helps this conversation. Yeah, the pandemic has, has impacted communities of color far more than whites, and the murder of George Floyd has brought whites out of privileged slumber. You can go anywhere with a question, but I just want to state the obvious that you look at these disruptions from an indigenous point of view and may see sprouts of possibility in the mud of this mess that I and we don't see. So over to you, Lila June, what could possibly go right?
0: Well, that's a big question, Uh, seemingly because our imagination has been so stifled. It's been hard to Imagine what the world could be like when we're so busy fighting what it's like. Um, and that's why I really like Indie uh, Inn Collective. They're based out of Rapid City, headed by Nick Tilson, and they have this whole radical imagination fellowship going on where they're giving grants to Native leaders who have a radical imagination to see what is possible. Um, And I think as native people, we're constantly fighting off what is assaulting us on all fronts. And it's when he asked me that question, you know, what do you imagine? What what if we win? You know, I just started crying because it's like, I realized how little time I ever have to think about that. Um, But so I mean, there's a lot of different things I could touch on right now. It's hard to choose um, different models and examples around the country and across the Mother Earth, you know. But the one I chose today is actually something that I'm trying to get out there more. It's called the Seven Generations New Deal. And um, we created this when I was running for office in New Mexico. I was running against the Speaker of the House. Um, and I was, we were both Democrats, but he was an oil Democrat and a corporate Democrat, casino Democrat, Budweiser Democrat. <laughs> um, but he played nice on all the right topics to make people think he was progressive. Um, and I was in Santa Fe, which is a highly quote unquote progressive area. Um, and so during this time, I wanted to create sort of like an indigenous version of the Green New Deal. And as we all know, the Green New Deal is a something that was put forward by various progressive candidates like AOC and Bernie Sanders. Um, but what we didn't really like about it was it didn't have very many actionable items. It was more of uh, principles and guidelines and values, which are important and yet we we were really looking to that to to bring to New Mexico, but nothing, none of we couldn't really apply it in a concrete policy legislative way. Um, so this is a seven-point plan that we developed. And when I say we, I mean myself and a bunch of advisors who are both indigenous and uh of European descent. Um it wasn't later until I realized that I really messed up in not having any African-American advisors in this. Um, but myself being half white and half Native American, I usually overfocus on those two, two things. Uh, so it's still in the works, but, um, I think this could go right. I think if we implemented this, it could go right. And so I'll just preface it a bit and then I'll get into the seven points. So basically, you know, economy, is inseparable from ecology. And that's the key thing that Western and American society does not understand. They think that you can destroy ecology to help economy. And yes, you can for a time, but only for a time. And then your whole house of cards collapses. And we're finally getting to that point which to us seems like it's taken a long time, but from a spiritual and a ge- geological time frame, it's been a blink of an eye. Um, my PhD work focuses on indigenous food systems and we have seen through fossilized pollen evidence that the Shawnee of Kentucky, what we now call Kentucky, uh, maintained a food forest of hickory nut, chestnut, black walnut, Acorn, sumpweed, goosefoot, all these edible plant species for 3,000 years. That pollen is persistent in the record for 3,000 years. Um, America's not even 300 years old and it's already collapsing. You know, so I guess my point with that is that our separation of ecological health and economic health Um, is one of our gravest mistakes. We think that works, it doesn't. And so the Seven Generations New Deal does not solely focus on economic development, but heavily on ecological development, if you will, because we understand the two are intertwined. It's pretty simple stuff, but for some reason, people just can't, they just don't, they don't get it so anyways let's get into the seven points um so interestingly in addition to the first point is democracy and i put this as the first point because the more i started working in, in politics the more i started realizing that um you know our stranglehold the corporate stranglehold on politics is A pretty major obstacle for any real change. Um, And that includes Citizens United, where corporations are treated as people and therefore can contribute to campaigns in the same way. That includes super PACs, which are basically loopholes to the campaign finance laws. And campaign finance laws are all about limiting the amount of influence a certain interest can have on a politician. So that when that person gets elected, they're not beholden to exxon they're not beholden to remington they're not beholden to um any number of corporations who as we all know their bottom line does not include ecological health so anyways that's why i put this as number one because i felt as though until we get this right which we can if we understand it clearly enough and we demand it strongly enough and we're unified enough The other points are kind of moot. Um, So anyways, let me read it. It says the political influence of the oil industry is a threat to our democracy and climate. While this may seem obvious little has been done to protect the government from corporate control. This is our first point as without this much work will be futile. Until this is addressed in a serious way, we will continue to live suppressed beneath the thumb of the oil oligarchy. We must demand the concrete elimination of campaign contributions from oil, gas, and other corporate moguls to political candidates. So that's what could go right, you know, is why don't we go ahead and actually eliminate the ability of oil and gas, if we are serious about climate change, which hopefully, <laughs> you know, I mean, some of us are, obviously some of us aren't, but that would be the smartest thing to do right now, whether or not Republicans agree with it. That is the thing that seven generations down the line, people are going to say, why didn't they do that? Um, Because until then, all of our policy, which drives a lot of what happens in this country, sadly, um, will be controlled by oil companies. We're, we don't have a president, we, we think we have a president, but really we are governed by oil companies. Um, so, okay, the second one is actually indigenous science. Um, and this would have been number one for me, but I felt as though, unless we got that first one right, you know, we couldn't go forward, but this is the second most important is, and, and I explain it, or I should say, we explained it like this. The value systems and conceptual frameworks that got us into this climate crisis will not get us out of it. We need to look to societies with a proven track record of sustainability for solutions. All representatives at every level of government must fight for indigenous led task forces to appropriately compile and integrate indigenous science into our national policies so this might seem pie in the sky but i don't think it has to be i think having indigenous led task forces within our governmental systems is just a step away we just have to understand that it's possible and the reason we want to bring these folks in is because turns out native people aren't primitive stupid earth loving spiritual people they actually Yes, we're earth loving, yes, we're spiritual, but we're also scientists. The world is actually eating our foods right now. We are the reason people are eating right now. Corn, potatoes, you know, chocolate. A lot of the staples that are keeping the world going are from indigenous food scientists who cultivated these things with incredible precision and intention. so that food is just one sector, but there's a lot of ways that indigenous science could actually save our butts right now. And it would behoove us to create these indigenous led task forces to go and compile that uh, those principles and practices and start bringing them into our government, governmental policies, the way we interact, everything from housing to food to water, all of it. Tenochtitlan, you know, Mexico city sits on a lake Those people lived on a lake, they pooped and peed just as much as we do and they never poisoned it. How did they do that? How did they work with water so well that they had a huge city on top of a lake prior to Columbus and they never poisoned the water? You know, why can't we do that? Are we primitive or something? I think so. So anyways, um, number three is structurally shifted green economy. So this goes into not just what we create our economy, but who owns it. Not just what we create in our economy, but who owns it. And so creating horizontal ownership structures. Um, So for example, a 15 square mile solar farm would satisfy New Mexico's electricity needs. 15 square miles to the state of New Mexico would satisfy New Mexico's electricity needs eliminating the need for nuclear coal and natural gas that's a big one for us because new mexico is plagued with coal and nuclear why couldn't current oil industry workers not only build this solar infrastructure but own it too this is one of many ways we must fight to restore economic power to the most marginalized because i come from the navajo nation the dine nation and we have a lot of coal plants, and our people work in these coal plants, and our people work in the fracking fields. Why couldn't these Diné people, these Navajo people, build that solar farm to make the jobs and then own it or co-own it at least? So it's not just about recreating the same hierarchical structure with solar farms and wind. We need to actually restructure the entire ownership um, setup so that we can share power, um, share economic power. Uh, So the four is ecological restoration. Um, And so this is really about sort of what I was talking about before, if we can heal the tissues of the earth, the soils, and it's related to the indigenous science task force, right? They would be the ones to help us do this, uh, to heal bioremediation, look into hemp remediation, sunflower remediation, all of these uh fungal remediation all of these amazing things that creator gave us to heal the earth to heal the soils the water why can't we um implement that as part of our uh carbon strategy because as we all know soil sequesters carbon um forests sequester carbon (laughs) life (laughs) sequesters carbon and so if we can help life flourish we can help balance our earth. And, and what I, one of the actionable items I threw in here was a joint several liability and, or sorry, retroactive joint and several liability. And what that is, is it's actually holding all of the fracking companies accountable all the way down the ownership chain. So this is less of like bioremediation and more like suing, <laughs> fracking co- which can help with bioremediation. you know, they can pay for it. Um, But essentially what fracking companies do is they drill a well, they tap it out and then they sell the crumbs to another company or a shell company, as in a a fake company that isn't even real. And then they also sell along with it, all of the cleanup responsibility, all of the liability. So you have Exxon just pumping out all the cream of the crop and then ditching and taking the money and running. a retroactive joint and several liability means every single owner of that fracking well is held accountable for the cleanup costs and this is how they dodge cleanup costs and this has worked in Wyoming. And so this is an important thing that we can do right now Um, and Kyle Tisdale who ran for Congress here in New Mexico is an expert in that Um, and he is good to talk to as well. Um, So number five equity. So um, as the second greatest carbon emitter in the world, the US is responsible for harm and destruction across the globe. We're the second greatest carbon emitter. So I don't know if you've seen those maps where all the countries are resized based on how much carbon they emit. So China's massive, um, America's massive and Africa is just this little sliver of a thing. And it's it, like, it's almost not even on the map. And it's like, why, why should they bear the brunt of, of the emissions that these other industrial companies are, are, are putting out? And so it becomes a question of equity of like, why are other people having to pay for our mistakes? And if we reframe it that way, from a scientific option to an ethical obligation, you know, then emissions reduction becomes our moral duty. Furthermore, in the process of transforming our economies, people of color and other marginalized groups must be placed in equal places of leadership and community prosperity. And so the notion of sacrifice zones, which mostly where mostly people of color and poor communities bear the pollution brunt of our energy systems, must be formally condemned and altogether abolished. And so what that means is, you know, we actually have we actually have the ability within our government systems to formally condemn things, that's and and abolish them. So what that means is we can actually codify the erasure of sacrifice zones, and this is touches a very strong chord in my heart because as Diné people, you know, we um, are a sacrifice zone, nuclear uh materials were mined from our reservation by our elders back in the 40s and 50s and this was to provide for the cold war Uh, a lot of our elders are dying of cancer a lot of our water is radioactive um that we might we were forced to mine it from our own sacred mountains just to survive um you know they economically impoverish us and then and then use that uh vulnerability to you know you know the story so and then with coal we've mined a lot of coal out of our uh reservation and a lot of fracking and now helium you know so it's just a mess and 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 reagan um officially designated us as an energy sacrifice zone and so that needs to be formally condemned and altogether abolished that notion that one people can take the brunt for the rest needs to be abolished. Um, So the sixth point is climate education. And this was sort of thinking about, you know, the, the youth and, um, my elder said, you know, well, if you look at Greta Thunberg, you know, she, what, what sparked her passion was education. You know, she learned, she started to understand. And, And so, When we and so this is how I say it. um, everyone deserves to be informed on climate science indigenous solutions to food and water collapse alternative worldviews to capitalism and effective solutions from multicultural perspectives. All elected leaders can and must fight for both Western and indigenous climate science curricula to be made available at all school levels and types. So in other words, everyone deserves to be informed and not just informed from a Eurocentric perspective, but informed from a multicultural perspective, because in, this goes back to the indigenous science piece of like, we deserve to know how to live on the earth and Eurocentricism has not given us those answers. They give us some answers, they're good at finding answers but they're not good at asking the right questions. Um, so seventh point is systems change. Um, And so there's a couple actionable items here and the way we explained it was as follows. We need visionary, forward-thinking voices that push lawmakers to think completely differently. Our elected leaders must push to one, institute legal rights for nature, which has been done in Ecuador and other places where you can actually represent a river in court (laughs) because it has no voice, uh, represent Um, a certain biome or ecosystem where there are living beings who just because they can't speak English don't have a voice for some reason. Um, So that's number one. Number two, incorporate the true costs of fossil fuels into state and federal budgets. Uh, And so what that means is, you know, in New Mexico, we were horribly dependent on oil revenue, and then the um, fracking economy collapsed with coronavirus, right? So that I didn't need to run for office after all that coronavirus destroyed it for me. But, um, you know, when we have, when when our states are so dependent on oil revenue and they think that's a good thing, but they're not accounting for the true costs, like New Mexico is going to run out of water within this century. It's going to be a big problem. A lot of people are going to suffer. Why aren't we incorporating that into the true costs of this fracking boom that we're experiencing? We just are so short-sighted and that's why it's the seven generations new deal okay Uh, thirdly you know rearrange subsidies to close wealth disparity instead of widen it generate policy in conversation with communities instead of above and apart from them this idea that policy just like this policy was made with community members Uh, undo patriarchy and racism by electing more women and women of color and design every gener- every governmental decision such that it is accountable to the next seven generations to come and beyond. So those are some of the systems changes that we can make and they're only a tiny list of many. Yeah. So s- thank you for hanging in with me to hear all these different seven points. But that's yeah. sort of what I think it could go right is, and uh, uh, one last thing I'll just say, this is not finished. you know, anyone can take this template and completely rewrite it, plagiarize it, i don't care. this is for the people and anyone can use it and it's meant to be adaptable and helpful to and changeable for other people's contexts.
1: wow. i appreciate that we went a tad longer than than, you know, the the little limited you know, Western mind, we're going to keep it anally to (laughs) a circle that we define because, um, number one, uh, I'm going to take it, Uh, you know, thanks for doing the hard work. Um, yeah. The hard labor of,
0: and it's online. It's, it's sgnd.info. We'll, we'll put it in the show
1: notes and everything.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, one of the things, that I I'm hearing from this that I just want to sort of like underscore and we don't have time to go into it now because I think we don't um <laughs> is you know they can take everything from us but our values you know and at the end of the day we have to stand on what we know is true even if it seems unimaginable and um, I love the question of what if we win, that opens space in this time when the sort of not the leading edge, but this sort of just behind the leading edge, people are realizing we're heading into collapse of the systems, you know, the food system, the food um, supply chains, not the the food supply chains, uh, the tough and getting tougher problem with that is showing us that the systems we live in are fragmenting. And so we have to have a place to put our minds. Now on the question of what if the dire predictions turn out to be the turning point, you know, I mean, if you can't create the idea that something can go right here, then uh, you're sort of um, disenfranchised and disabled. And it's not wishing, dreaming, hoping, it's taking a stand for that there there is a world beyond the one we're in. And this is an audacious um, stand for that. Uh, And I just want to reassure you that um, What you're talking about of the intersection of ecology, economy, and justice for the people was distinguished in the mid-1980s by the Brentland Commission report called Our Common Future. And they lifted up the idea of sustainable development, which was rapidly um, captured by the corporations as sustained growth. Um, But this is a conversation um, that the world, that has been in the world, even though it's not realized. So I will take that what could possibly go right is the realization of a long dream, you know, that was the united nations the dream is way before and also i would like to just challenge the people who are listening to do your so you know do your seven point plan you know take us you know put meat on the bones of your dreams and stand in them because our dreams our prayers are what we have so um, I just want to thank you for the time. And if you want to have like a last word beyond my ramble, then please do.
0: Oh, no, I'm I'm good. Thank you so much. I just hope that people visit the website and please share it. Like, please get it out there. That's That was my hope that even though I didn't win my election, that I could at least bring this out to the world. Um, and as you can imagine, the fossil fuel industry squashed me like a little bug because I... I was actually right. a viable candidate, and they threw the, the the ugly, dirty tricks at me, and my campaign had to end. But um, but yeah, I, I hope that this is what lives on.
1: Right. Okay. Thank you so, so much for engaging in the question,
0: Lila Thank you. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye.